Welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, a podcast about history, true crime, and whatever life brings us. I'm Courtney, and every week I am joined by another fascinating person. Let's see what we're going to talk about this week. Welcome back to the Cult of Domesticity. This week we're with Scott from uh, Status Pending and cannot remember, I have it, Frozen, Frozen Truth. Frozen Hi. Truth is the other one. Hi, Courtney. Yeah. Hi. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun. I met you for the first time in Chicago with all our other internet friends, and it was kind of weird to meet everybody in person. But after I did, I know I'd listened to your show before, but after I met you, I came back and I listened to a whole bunch of more episodes. I love your show. I am your newest fan. I think it's awesome. I think it's probably even gotten better since I first found it, because you've been doing this for a while. We're almost at two years. Two years, yeah, longer than most of us in the <laughs> community. So it's it's right up my alley. I love true crime. I love history, and yeah, yeah, I, I binged like probably in the last week. I've probably listened to twelve or fourteen episodes or something. I loved them all. So it's cool Aww, to be here. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, you had your my favorite introduction at the festival. You walked up to me and you go, "I know Heather Wright," and I knew it was you. Then. <laughs> yeah, we share we share uh, Heather in common. She's uh, a lovely person. Isn't she just yes. the best? Um, oh, yeah. But Heather was very much in her element there because, you know, she knows everybody. Everybody knows yeah. her. And so she was trying to supervise and chaperone me, but sometimes she would wander off with her ADD into a different part of the, the room, and I was left by myself. So that's how we got talking. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was a fun event, and I, I don't know about you, but I think I'll go back, back next year and uh, yeah. wherever it is. Oh, my God. Yeah, I can't wait for next year because they did such a good job with, like, such a limited group of people organizing it. Yeah. So I'm like, if they get more people to help, like, just imagine how, and, like, the stuff they've learned. It's going to be even better. I mean, it was fine. There was nothing, there was nothing even really that, that you could point to and say this didn't work. I mean, you could nitpick, I guess, but, yeah. yeah. So it was... It was cool. It was good enough where I want to go back next year, and I'm not much for, you know, the social traveling convention stuff, you know. But I brought the wife and kids, and we had a great time in Chicago. Yeah, it's. A, I mean, one, they picked a great city to do it the first year, because yeah. Chicago, for a day, it's perfect. Yes. And it's close enough that I think most people drove. Yeah. Or at least all the crazy Midwesterners drove. Yeah, some people couldn't. Some people were flying from other countries, I think. But yeah. we drove. It's like, I was thinking in my mind it was going to be five hours because that's what uh, Chicago's five hours from where we are in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. No, it's like seven. We got to O'Hare in five. And then the last 10 miles getting to downtown, that was like an hour 45. So I've done that drive numerous times. Yeah. Yeah. O'Hare. The worst airport. It is probably the worst. Logan's <laughs> up there, too, in Boston, because it's always under construction. I'm trying to think of what other terrible airports are. But, yeah. So, it was fun. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll go back next year. Uh, either the wife or the wife's credit card is staying home next year. I know that. She had fun shopping on Michigan Avenue. But the kids had a lot of fun on the pier. And yeah, it was, it was cool. It's, yeah, it's a great city. So, you're going to start first. Okay. And you want to tell everyone you're, you're doing true crime. Yes. Since that is your expertise as well. Yes, this is kind of outside my area of expertise. Both of my podcasts, the one I do with Heather Status Pending and the one I do with Frozen Truth, are unresolved, unsolved. Frozen Truth is like a deep dive and Status Pending is a case a month. This is not unsolved. This isn't even real heavy true crime, but it's such a fun story. This is one of my favorite stories of all time. 
You want me to just go? Yeah, just go because. So I met the author of a guy. No, the author of. I met the author of, of a guy who wrote the book. That still didn't make sense. We're off to <laughs> you a met good the start. author of someone who wrote a book on the story. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. His name is Mike Finkel. The book is called A Stranger in the Woods. I can't remember. Uh, Mike was really successful with what was the movie that Jonah Hill was in that was based in Afghanistan? War War Dogs, I think, or something like oh, that. Oh, yes. So yes, War Dogs. He wrote, Mike wrote the original article that that movie is based on. Okay. I've actually never seen the movie. But, um, Me neither. That was like how we got started. Talking about Chris Knight is who I'm going to be telling you about today. Chris Knight is also known as the North Pond Hermit. And Mike Finkel wrote the book, Stranger in the Woods. It's fantastic. It's fun. It's easy to listen to. Buy it now. It's pretty cheap, I think, paperback on Amazon. Mike lives in Paris now, but he and I met, and we talked about this story for like 45 or 60 minutes. It's really cool. Chris Knight was a hermit who, well, let me ask you first. We'll play a game, because I was thinking about this myself. What is the longest time that you've been alone in one period of time? Like, by yourself, no contact, no cell phone, no conversation, not even seeing another human being. What do you think the longest time you've been alone is? See, my problem is I live alone. I tend to travel alone. (laughs) So, hence my podcast problem. Um, I think I've definitely been alone solidly about a day, day and a half. So, 24, 36 hours where you haven't encountered a soul. I think yeah. I might have gone a little bit longer, like backpacking when I was skinny, but um, not much longer than that, though. So this story is about a guy, a man named Chris Knight, who parked his car in the main woods, walked into the woods, and didn't reappear for 27 years. He lived in the woods <laughs> by himself year-round for 27 years. So he's a hermit. Yeah. And throughout history, there have been religiously motivated hermits like the Buddha, who mm-hmm. was alone for, what was it, 40 days and started yeah. the religion, Jesus Christ. Similarly, there have been your political protesters or just protesters against society in general, Ted Kaczynski, um, some people. The in- famous fake one, which was Ralph, um, is it Emerson? Well, Thur- who did Walden Park. Thoreau did, did Walden, where he lived by himself for two years just so he could write a book about um, how, you know, and show everybody and tell everybody about how he lived by himself. So that's, in that way, it's the fake one. Yeah, because he was by himself, but then he went back into society full force to, you know, share his book, his story. Well, he also, like, if you drive around Massachusetts and you see where Walden Pond is, there's, like, he would go home. Yeah. And his mom wouldn't, like, do his laundry. Yeah. No, Chris Knight was an actual, honest-to-goodness hermit, and it's been, I was doing some historical stuff over the weekend, there's a thin line of society where just a few people want to go off and live by themselves. Not like vacationing, not like I'm not going to check social media this weekend, like honestly live in the woods, live by themselves for religious reasons or thorough artistic reasons. Einstein was this way uh, a little bit, he described himself as a hermit, but I don't know which uh, Chris Knight fits, but those are kind of the three accepted categories of, I don't know if hermitude is a word, but... I've definitely met some people who, my last boss kind of was a hermit. He would go every year at the end of the, like, tourist season for a week and live on an island, like, hunt on an island. Nice. (laughs) And that's rural Washington state. 
It's just what people do. See, I think it, it sounds fun. I know I would die really fast. I would die almost immediately. But it does sound fun. Like, I'm a, I'm a loner kind of a person. I'm a social, I communicate professionally, socially. That's my job. My day job is to be a professional communicator in broadcasting and podcasting. And I have to have a family and I have lots of friends. And But if I'm, I'm a loner, I would rather be by myself almost any time of the day, you know. But this extreme is something else. I don't know if there's, there probably have been one or two who are more extreme than this. But this guy, Chris Knight, was in the woods for 27 years by himself. I first heard this when I was a kid, because I would go out to central southern Maine. My family has uh, history out there. We used to go there. I spent a lot of summers out there. And it was like the Loch Ness Monster. You would hear stories from locals about this guy that lived in the woods. But the closer you got to the specific area of, of Maine where this guy actually lived, the less and less people believed that it was actually possible that someone could withstand the winters and live there year-round. So for 30 years, it's like a legend. It's like a myth of a man who was living in the woods. Some people thought he was a Vietnam vet. Some people thought he was disturbed or mentally not all there. Some people just thought he wanted peace and quiet. But I don't know how many people in the area actually literally believe that there's a guy living in the woods for, for that long. But um, it turns out there there was. And so that's, that's this story. Um, this lake in North Pond is just kind of like a, it's not a big lake, it's not a small lake, it's just kind of a regular sized lake inland in Maine, so it's not on the coast. But there were cabins, about 300 cabins around this lake, and over the decades, things would go missing from these cabins, like flashlights and food and hundreds of books, thousands of books over the years. There was never... You know what he was doing? He was reading. He was sharpening his mind. That's all he did. That's all he read a lot. Um, Because we have his story, because eventually he's caught at the end of the story here. But and really, what's really interesting is how he survived and, and the little details. There is no twist at the end. You know, we kind of know what happens. He's going to get caught. But how did he not die in 27 years? Or um, And what's, what do you do all day? But for property and for food and for supplies, he, he could pick any lock. He would never break a window. He would never break down a door. He wouldn't touch a thing that he wasn't interested in taking. Never took anything valuable like a computer or TV or anything like that. He would just take flashlights, food, a couple other things. Um, And then he would lock the door behind him when he left. So sometimes these property owners, uh, they were were disturbed, obviously, once they figured out they'd been robbed. But it's, it's almost worse than having your place ransacked. Yeah, because it's, it's one, he broke in, but he was courteous enough mm-hmm. to then lock the door? So you're just like, um, thank you for not letting other people steal my stuff? Well, it makes you wonder, it, it's sort of like a gaslighting thing. Like, am I crazy or am I missing that flashlight? You know, it's almost like, so you're doubting yourself as you, I don't know if you've ever had your, your place broken into. I, Thankfully, no. <laughs> I had it happen once. And as you're going around the house trying to inventory what's been taken, it's like this really, it's an undescribable, unique sense of invasion of privacy that you're feeling, that somebody else has been here that's not supposed to be here. Um, So this was going on for 25, 27 years in the same area until in 2013, a warden for the Maine Forest Service who was for sure, he was convinced this is not a myth, this is actually a real guy that's somewhere out there. And he became... 
obsessed with catching him using technology, basically sensors that would alarm back to his own cell phone in his bedroom in the middle of the night. Um, and he caught the North Pond Hermit, who turned out to be Christopher Knight, who'd been living in the woods for 27 years. So going back to when Chris Knight parked his car when he was 20 years old, he parked his car, walked into the woods for absolutely no reason. He wasn't running from anything. He hadn't committed a crime. He felt. He said he felt like he had the strong gravitational pull to be alone. He'd had. That's just crazy. He's twenty. He's like, twenty you years think, old. That's. I mean, most kids are in college, like almost done, and he's just like, no, you know what? I feel like I'm gonna go live in the woods. Yep. He said it was like a gravitational pull. So he parked his Subaru. Didn't have a compass. Didn't have a map. Didn't have any supplies. He definitely wasn't ready for living for twenty-seven years. Uh, and he just walked in. You know. Walked in the woods. He had people, too. He had family. He had a mom. He had a mother and a father. He had five siblings. Um, but nobody, this is really interesting, nobody filed a missing persons report. And when I asked the author, Mike Finkel, I'm not sure he really knows for sure, like, why nobody didn't file a police report. But his best guess is this is 30 years ago. It's rural America. This family was off the grid to a certain extent. They just didn't want the publicity. and They didn't want, to some degree, the embarrassment, I think. I get the sense. It wasn't like an abusive family or a neglectful situation, um, but from what I've heard, but it was just, they just, he's 20. If he wants to go missing, we're not going to do anything to stop it, was kind of the attitude of the family. It's the opposite of the Into the Wild story where yeah. he wanted to go missing and his family said, no, we want you back. Right. And he didn't want that life. Yeah, so I don't know if the family knew what happened to Chris Knight, like if they had a suspicion that he had walked into the woods or if he hitchhiked to California or what. But they didn't tell police anyway. I don't know how hard they, they looked for him. But this was a different kind of family anyway. They would build greenhouses in their backyard as a family. So they were practicing for fun. They would practice thermodynamics, basically. <laughs> you know, a family a activity. It's a good time. <laughs> Rush home so that you guys can not watch the TV show. We're going to practice. We're going to tend to our greenhouse in the backyard. But they were dirt poor, really impoverished family. But they could grow food all winter because they've got this greenhouse year-round in the snow and, and year-round without paying a dime to the electric company to get food all year-round. So they would read Shakespeare as a family, like every night. He learned to hunt. He learned to fish. He was very mechanical with cars and house repairs and things like that. So when it came to solving problems, Chris Knight was extremely smart, as strange or as odd as he is to the rest of us. He was very, very smart. Probably couldn't have survived if he wasn't. He would win that History Channel show called, like, Alone or something like that. Yeah. He would win. Like, he did It'd that like... himself. That was, he invented it. Yeah. <laughs> was his idea. <laughs> Except there are no cameras and no advertisers. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> but the really amazing part is the details. For example, he says in 27 years he never lit a fire, which seems impossible. Right? Especially. Maine is cold. It, yes, especially in winter, especially in Maine. But instead, what he did was he didn't want to be caught, as he kept saying. He didn't want to be found, and smoke would have given his campsite away because he was not in a very, very remote. He was like a three minute walk from the nearest cabin. He was, oh. he was not in the middle of the woods. Like he could hear during the summer, he could hear boaters on the on the lake and people fishing and talking on the trail he just happened oh that's to, even creepier okay because he was there it's the whole time i mean how many <laughs> thousands of people walked by him or boated by him he was there but instead of lighting a fire what he would do is he would he knew that your body constantly produces condensation or 
moisture. And when it's really, really cold, it starts to freeze and it starts on your fingers and your hands and it makes its way to your heart. And that's what eventually kills you from hypothermia. So in the coldest part of the main winter, for 27 winters, every night he would get up at about 2 or 2.30 in the morning, the coldest time of the night, and he would walk around this little campsite area that he was staying in in order to avoid hypothermia. In, so he didn't set fires, but he would wake up in the middle of the night and pace his campsite so that he wouldn't die from exposure. And he, that is amazing. Like, you know what? How, I guess the, the family thermodynamics yeah, works. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, this is why I would die, is I would want to build a big, big bonfire. I'd use all my winter's firewood in about two days, and I'd want 13 sleeping bags, and I would just try to bundle up. But if it gets cold enough, it's not going to help you, I guess. I think yeah, I would, uh, I thought he would dig like a cave kind of situation, you know, where it's like hidden. So you have, you can retain it. So he did that right away. Like it, he didn't, he got better at this. He, he first, when he walked into the woods, he's like, that's what I'm going to do. And that, that was okay, I guess, but he couldn't store as much stuff as he wanted there. So he just kind of kept looking throughout the woods until he found this perfect spot where he wasn't going to be found. And that's where he stayed for 27 years. So he would basically act like a bear. He would hibernate like an animal would. Every year, right before winter, he would go on these massive stealing, thieving raids around the area, the summer camp and the campsites and the cabins. And he would try to get all the supplies he needed. And then his goal was to stay in the campsite and not leave the campsite for six months because he didn't want to leave footprints in the snow, which is almost impossible not to leave footprints in the snow. So his plan like, if everything went to plan, he was not going to leave, like, this 10-yard by 10-yard square patch of of forest for six months until spring. How do you not go stir-crazy? Yeah, so obviously, um, he was asked that question, and he said, basically, he didn't understand the concept of boredom, is what Chris Knight said. Like, mo- he read a lot, and he, when he had batteries, he would listen to the radio sometimes, but... Um, he said, what I did 99% of the time is what we would describe as nothing. Sit there and just think. Sit there and just be. And he said when he would do that, it would be, we would go insane. Like, where's my Facebook? Where's my email? What's going on in the world right now? He just sat there and he said it was almost like a connection with the universe. It was like uh, it was like a de- almost religious thing. It was his place of contentment. Like, he was happy doing this. He wasn't running from anything. This is what he thought he wanted to do, and when he did it, he decided that he was right, that this is what he wanted to die in the woods. He wanted never to be found by anybody. That was his only goal in life, was to live as long as he possibly could by himself in the woods without interacting with a single person. I mean... I think we all know at least one person that, that they would be content doing that. And I, I think that kind of idea of just go to go into nature and just absorb it and don't like have headphones in because mm-hmm. now we all currently wear headphones. I'm pretty sure eventually they're just going to we're going to be like Cybermen and just have headphones constantly yes. implanted in your ears. Yes, for sure. And but sometimes I know when I would go walk the dog and we'd walk in the woods it was kind of nice to just, like, not have headphones in and just walk around and not... I think a lot of people like going in the woods, too. I would have a problem staying there for more than, you know, that that a couple of days by myself with no human contact. And I would definitely die, like I say. I would be eaten by something. But he, he felt like he had to do it. It's like his... It's his jam. Or whatever. It's just his thing. So... 
I mean, two, 27 years, how do you survive that long without seeing a doctor? Was one of the questions that, that he was asked. And others have been asked, and they said basically, obviously, he could have gotten unlucky and gotten cancer or diabetes or one of those diseases that you really, genetic hereditary diseases. But doctors have said that he wasn't exposed to any germs. He wasn't exposed to any diseases while he was out there. And so he's not going to get sick from anything else anybody else would be carrying because he doesn't have any contact with any other person, literally. Think of, though, his body's shock when he gets reintroduced to society. Because at that point, you're going to have, we started having, like, bird flus again, like these really bad flus and these other diseases. And it'd be, it would be like first contact, like, in the age of exploration. Yeah. Like, yep, it would. Um, the only part of his body that was really hurting was his teeth. Oh, oh. Yeah. I'm just thinking about that. But it wasn't as bad as you would think because he never saw a dentist, obviously. So his, mm-hmm. he lost one tooth from... Only right. one? And the reason is, is because he would steal tooth, tooth supplies. He would steal toothbrushes and toothpaste, not for his own sake. But he was so obsessed with not getting caught that if he ever encountered another human being, he didn't want to look like a guy who'd been living in the woods for 15 years so he would actually keep up his hygiene he'd have new clothes he would brush his teeth and um so he wasn't in that bad of shape dentist wise but he did have some tooth decay that is so smart though because think about it some of these people i love to watch alaskan state troopers because one their crime things that they run into are just so like wide-ranging like oh a moose got hit, so we got to deal with that and, like, direct traffic. Or, hey, we found this mountain man who's driving this, like, 50-year-old Ford who is drinking we don't know what, but it's alcoholic. <laughs> and you look at that dude and you're like, yeah, you've been living a real long time by yourself in the mountains. Yep. Like, I can see it. But he would probably just kind of, he probably wouldn't look the best, but you'd be like, oh, he's just been camping a couple days. Yeah. It wouldn't be bad enough where it's, oh, that guy's been living out here for 30 years. That guy was raised by wolves. You know, it, it wasn't like that. Um, and people have asked, like, what about bears? What about, because he would store all this food for the winter, massive amounts of food. Um, but when you're actually there, when you're at the campsite, animals aren't going to mess with, like, they're not going to invade your your supplies until you leave and he would just stay there for six months during the winter and then people bring up like there was this really famous ice storm on the east coast in 98 and that's what convinced locals there's no way anybody could have survived that it was terrible um but what chris knight said was it wasn't that cold like if you were in civilized society you couldn't drive anywhere and your power was down for a week and it seemed really bad but it was like 24 degrees the whole the whole time so it was cold it was below freezing but it wasn't definitely wasn't that cold and the ice kind of insulated everything he said so while we would have thought that that would bring this civilization to a halt he was like i would have taken that ice storm constantly all the time because it insulates my food it's not really that cold so yeah you never think that ice is actually insulating yeah because if you look at the arctic and stuff like that like antarctica has lakes underneath sheets of ice because after a certain point, it gets too close to the core and it's warm again. So yeah, you just all have lakes these do. pockets. Yeah, any lake that freezes, obviously there's still fish swimming. Well, if it's deep enough, there's fish swimming and it doesn't totally freeze. Um, yeah. So he, you know, he read books. He listened to the radio. Um, 
it's so the campsite's interesting too. It, there's 300 houses around the lake. He was on private property this whole time. He was on some person's land the entire time, and he wasn't in the, the he wasn't too far into the woods. But it was it's been described as the thickest, densest forest that you've ever seen. There are these huge boulders circa the last ice age on either all around it but then there's this little clearing that he found and then made kind of his own so you could walk by it 10 feet probably by it and you wouldn't be able to see if you could walk in that area which you couldn't but that's the spot he found um during this time he was seen twice during the 27 years he encountered two people uh two groups of people dang once was on one of his thieving raids fortunately he says he was dressed up you know in decent clothes and he looked his appearance was fine saw a hiker passed a hiker on the trail He's, the hiker said hi, and Chris Knight said hi, and Chris Knight says, that is the only word I said out loud in 27 years. <laughs> you gotta think of how crazy that is. Like, I know sometimes when I spend, like, on the weekends, if I don't leave my apartment, I don't see another soul, mm-hmm. and you don't really talk. Well, some people talk to themselves, probably, but I, yeah, you're right, I wouldn't either. I think if I were by myself, you might start talking to yourself for that long, like, you might that might that might uh i could see myself creating a whole bunch of friends for myself you would woods. go uh tom hanks and cast <laughs> exactly away. yeah he talked a lot yeah yeah it's not uh there's a robert redford movie that my brother forced us all to watch and is my least favorite robert redford movie because he's just stuck on a boat that is sinking and the only word he says the entire time is fuck yeah. And that's the only word in the entire movie. I've actually seen that movie. My dogs are going crazy. Uh, sorry about that. Um, I didn't. I, I thought I would like it because I like movies that take place all in one location, like 12 Angry Men. I like, I like movies like that. This was not, I don't think I made it through, though. We, we finished it because at that point we had committed and we're all stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're just like, we were like, we love Robert Redford. Andrew said this is a good movie. What is going on? <laughs> he directed that one too, I remember. Yeah. So he Basically the premise is there's a shipping container that hits his boat. Yeah. And then he has to deal with it and he's by himself. Right. He has to survive. He does he die in the end? Spoiler. I don't think he does. I thought he did maybe. Maybe I did make it to the end. I was rooting for him to die just so it would be over. <laughs> wow. He's the opposite of Chris Knight where you're like Chris Knight, you're kind of rooting for him. Right. Like, in this movie, you're not rooting for him to survive because, hmm. like, there's a lot of stupid decisions made, mm-hmm. and you're just like, oh. Deserve to die. Just be yeah, done. Just, he's not thriving. Chris Chris Knight's thriving. Robert Redford, because we don't know his actual character's name, was Barely not. surviving, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the only other time that Chris Knight was ever seen, this is a really good story. I hope it's true. I hope this part's true. He was seen by ice fishermen. He was seen by a generation of men, males, a grandfather, a father, and a son who were out ice fishing. And they happened on Chris Knight. And the son, the young kid, waved, and Chris waved back. And the father was looking at this guy really suspiciously, like, something, something's wrong here. Why is this guy out? In, like, he's not fishing. He's not hunting. It's cold. And he was kind of eyeballing him. And the grandfather knew immediately who he was. He he'd heard the legends over the years. He's like, This is the North Pond Hermit. So he, he told his son, the father, he's he's like uh whispered something to him and the father nodded and so the grandfather shouts out to Chris Knight something like, Listen, we're gonna move on. We're not gonna tell anybody that we saw you here. They basically swore an oath 
that they weren't going to say anything if they saw him. And then they left. And Chris Knight was like, I don't know if I can trust these people or not, but it was getting close to winter. And so to find a brand new campsite at that point probably would have been not very smart of him. So he kind of just took the chance and trusted those fishermen and not any of them, not the old man, not the father, not the the kid. None of them said a word until after he was caught. That is one that's just amazing that they didn't go home and be like, oh my God, guys. Straight to Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like you couldn't keep that secret now. It's just crazy. Well, the grandfather said he didn't want to be the one to ruin it. Like he, it's, it's kind of a main thing or maybe a Midwest thing. Maybe there are still parts of the country like that, but it was like, this guy's doing whatever he wants to do. As far as I can tell, he's not hurting us or anybody else. I don't want to be the person that brings this whole thing down. You know, it's like if you actually met Bigfoot and you're like, I could shoot it right now, but maybe I don't want to, maybe it deserves to just be out there. You know, it's, it's the comparison of a lot of people say Pixar didn't happen. And you know, my thought is sometimes it's better not to take pictures, like just be in the moment. And they're like, you know what? He's doing his thing. He's in his moment. We're in our moment. We're just passing ships. Cool. That's what it was. Yeah. So those are the only two times he was ever uh, he was ever seen. Um, he got better as he went with his systems, how he walked through the woods, how he'd get his drinking water. He found that perfect campsite. Um he never took a picture. He never created anything. He didn't journal. He wasn't going to sell this or write a book or anything when he got out. He was just doing it for for him, like straight up for him. Um, so the true crime angle of this, obviously, is that Chris Knight committed thousands of felonies. He estimated a thousand or so burglaries, home invasions, and robberies. Um, and he was he did some. He co-signed a car loan with that Subaru with his brother, one of his brothers, and it was a brand new car when he parked it and left it, and his brother was on the hook for the car. That's rude. Yeah. That's just rude, personally. Basically ripped off his own brother. Oh, yeah. But with the robberies, um, there are a lot of mixed feelings about him, like with the locals. Some people, like, you want to root for him. Like, you're impressed by him being able to do this, but he really invaded people's sense of security. Like, in a lot of states, he could have been shot for any one of these crimes once he broke into someone's someone's home. But he did have a code. He would only steal from second homes that he knew were not primary residences. He wouldn't destroy anything. He wouldn't break windows. He wouldn't break doors down. He would only pick locks. He only took food, sometimes clothing, a lot of books, flashlights, batteries, but really nothing that wasn't essential. He was also extremely careful. He would, once he was going on a thieving raid, he would sit there for four hours and make sure that nobody was at the house. Um, and he would always lock the door behind him to make sure that no other actual real thieves would come in and steal your valuables, your computers, your TVs after he had left. So he had like this code. Yeah, I would laugh if he exchanged books, like it's like those le- lending yeah. libraries. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, well, I finished this one and I think you would enjoy it based on your book taste and I'll take this one. And What he did with the books is he put them under, his, uh, under the ground of the campsite over the years. He eventually leveled out the floor of his campsite using the books. That's... Oh my god, that's so smart, though. Because you think about it, they're all different length, like heights. Yeah, and and you have nothing but time. Like, some of these things sounds like, ah, where does he find the time? Well, his schedule's not really that full, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. For the neighbors and, and these, he there's about 100 cabins he would steal from. There are all kinds of different reactions. Some 
of the property owners would talk amongst themselves about leaving food out that was poisoned. Yeah. Oh no! Like this... again, your your yes, your sense of security is violated, but he actually did know like damage, damage to your house. Right. He stole low value items. He didn't harm your property in any real way. Um, it's. But we all know those people, you know, and you're not wrong if you think Mike Finkel likes to say this, too. He's like, if whatever you think about Chris Knight is correct, you know, whether you, you love him, you admire him, you think he's, you know, didn't really do anything morally wrong, even because he was just trying to survive, or whether you think that this guy is just a terrible criminal from the sense of the standpoint of violating your own personal space, which really is our whole society is based around that. Our whole human identity is based around autonomy and sovereignty and so once you mess with that some you know it's a that's a big thing um so not not everybody was trying to kill him though some people would leave out a piece of paper and they would write write a shopping list for me i will go buy it and i will leave it here for you so that you can come pick it up and take it but he wouldn't even respond to those notes because he was so paranoid about getting caught or the food being poisoned or something like that he he did steal his largest haul was a mattress actually a couple of mattresses over the years he would um he he it baffled police right away at this particular house because the front door had a deadbolt on it and they couldn't figure out how he would have gotten a mattress he can't get it out any of the windows in the cabin the front door is the only way out of the cabin so they're like how did this guy get a mattress out the front door without a key and the deadbolt is still locked so no one figured it out until he was caught and then Chris Knight, when asked specifically about that, said, I, it took a while. I took all the pins out of the door, and I the deadbolt was, was fastened. But I, you know, once the pins were out, I kind of lifted the door up and slid the mattress underneath the door outside. And then when it was outside, refastened all the pins. So he took, kind of took the door off, even though the deadbolt was still fastened, was still uh, latched. I'm just impressed because you you think deadbolts are like the be all end all to the door and it's like no (laughs) not that door anyway I hope if you have enough time you can do it I hope most doors are more secure than that maybe it was kind of a flimsy cabin door um yeah so eventually when he's caught here uh oh the other impressive thing uh I wrote down about Chris Knight is he didn't have the best eyesight and in 27 years Everything he he owned was stolen, every single thing, with the exception of his eyeglasses, which he didn't once chip, break, or scratch the entire time. I'm, I'm sorry, what? Because I know people who go through, like, a pair of glasses a year. Yeah. And if he had, what do you do? He's kind of screwed. Mm-hmm. He pro- it was probably that item, you know, you're extra careful about yeah. because you know. It was. That's what he said. But still, pretty impressive. 27 years. Not even, not a, even scra- a scratch oh on him. Can you imagine if you got a scratch, though, and he's watching houses, how annoying that scratch would be? Yeah. It would just twist at you a little bit, and you're just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's finally caught here. It all comes to an end because of this. Uh, he was he had been stealing from a camp across the lake. It was a summer camp. It was kind of a charity thing. But it was like his own personal grocery store because he would just raid it during the summer, especially and right before winter. This game warden happened to volunteer at that summer camp, and so he decided, I'm going to solve this. So he booby-trapped, he put sensors in the cabin, and he would practice, this warden lived right by, nearby, but he would practice, he would drill, getting in his truck, how quickly can I get out to the campsite, where am I going to park my truck, and he got it down to four minutes flat, 
where he could get the alert on his phone, drive out to the campsite or drive out to the, the camp and be inside to catch him red-handed, basically. So he would practice. This needs to be a movie because it sounds like a catch me if you can. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Someone did buy the movie rights, too. Um, really? That's what I had heard when I talked to Mike Finkel about this. That was like three years ago, and I think it was just starting. And you know how movies are. As they get made. They don't get made. But it would yeah. be a cool movie. It's literally a combination of Call of the – I think it's Call of the Wild. Yeah. And and catch me if you can, because it's like starts off where he's like, I'm just gonna live in the woods, and then eventually you get the heat on him, and mm -hmm. and Tom Hanks could still play the game warden, or he could also be like, uh, you know, um, Wilson, the, the 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 other movie. He could be the he could be Chris Knight too. Yeah. Uh, so one night, one o'clock in the morning, his phone alarm goes off. He he gets he's been waiting his whole life for this moment. <laughs> he hops in the truck. And he's out there, lickety-split, and he catches Chris Knight red-handed, stealing just food. And Chris immediately surrendered, didn't put up a fight, confessed everything. Nobody believed him. The game warden kind of believed him, but everybody that showed up was like, this guy's not been living in the woods for 27 years. He doesn't smell bad. His glasses aren't broken. His clothes are relatively... But pretty quickly everyone figured out that he it was he showed them the campsite is what convinced everybody and the game warden followed him out there he and one other officer were the only people who could get through this dense wood and he said watching chris knight move through the forest from boulder to tree to it was like watching a wild animal move through the forest he'd gotten so good at it his feet never touched the ground because he didn't want to leave footprints um when he was arrested, he was eventually sentenced to for a thousand plus felonies, seven months in jail, and he was out. I know he was out in less than a year, and he now I've I haven't really followed up where he is now. I'm not sure if anyone knows, but at the end of the book, uh, the Finkel wrote. It's actually I won't give away the ending. It's kind of a cool ending between the two of them, but he was living in some house in Maine, just a regular house. He's not out in the woods anymore. And he's very, very unhappy. He is not happy that he is not living in the woods any longer. He's glad he was out of jail. That was worse. But he doesn't really love regular society. That is the story of Chris Knight, the North Pond Hermit. That, it's just amazing. And yeah, that kind of person, if you've been living, what if you've been that isolated? Prison is hell. Prison mm -hmm. is literally hell because you're constantly around people. And then... I mean, maybe he could find a house out in the woods, like where he's not as close to people. Yeah, and he, he's turned down everybody else, too. I think he, like, Mike Finkel sent him the book, and he never heard back from from Chris Knight. Like, he doesn't even know, I don't think he knows where he is. But, um, yeah, if you read the book, the ending between the two of them is kind of surprising. And I think he talked to Mike Finkel just to say, this is my only time I'm ever going to talk about this. And he says the reason he talked to, to Mike Finkel is because Mike wrote him on regular pen and paper to ask for the interview. And that's where it all started. But it's a great book. It's an easy read. There's even more cool stuff in the book that we didn't talk about here. So it's one of my all-time favorite stories because it's so fun. You know, it's a, it, it, it is a cross between like a mystery. There is some actual human uh, consequence in there with the true crime and the burglaries and everything. But basically, it's just really cool. It's almost too good to be true. I would really doubt it if I if it wasn't someone like Mike Finkel who worked on it with a bunch of lawyers and investigators and five years of his life. I wouldn't believe it, but I do believe it. So there it is. 
Yeah. It seems like one of those books because they did they they did their due diligence yeah. and you see some you see some true crime books that come out where they do get that access and then they kind of waste it yeah i guess it's the best way to say it and this doesn't seem like one of those things he he was like i'm he he took stock he's like okay christopher's not gonna like it if i send him an email or i call him so you know what i'm gonna go to him on his level which really seemed to connect because you see some of those people and they don't want to talk to you it's it's basically if you were back in colonial times you have to treat it like that where you're surviving you're on the frontier this is what you're doing and yeah that's to now go get this book yes yeah, <laughs> see if it's a library it's a nice easy quick read in fact i lent it to somebody and i haven't gotten it back i was looking for it last weekend like i want to reread this before i talk to courtney and it was stolen from me and not returned but oh, it is a cool book it's a great yeah. story it's just fun it's a fun story yeah so scott do you want to plug your shows Yes, please. Uh, thank you. I have status pending. I do have multiple now. I used to make fun of Heather because she has like 14 podcasts. Now I do too. So I have status pending with Heather Wright, which is a anthology case a month. Um, in, we look into cases that are unresolved or unsolved or have lingering questions about them. That's a lot of fun. That's research-based, pretty procedural. Frozen Truth is a deep dive into a different mystery every season. I go on the ground to whatever the location is where my mystery missing persons case takes place. I've been to Wyoming for Amy Robechtel. I've been to Maine for Ayla Reynolds. And I've been uh, here near where I live to Iowa for Jody Husentrude. So that's a deep dive, long form, try to solve the mystery podcast, Frozen Truth. And I just started a brand new one when I was out in Wyoming for Amy Robechtel, a local media outlet. Um, heard that work I did, and they just contacted me, do you want to do an anthology about Wyoming true crime and mystery? And so I just released the first episode of that one uh, back in July, last part of July, one episode in, maybe two by the time this airs, but it's called Dead and Gone in Wyoming. Each uh, episode has one murder and one missing persons case from Wyoming. There's a lot of history tied up. I won't say a lot. But there's, because it's only a 23-minute show, but there, there's history, there's, it's less procedural, less true crime, and more context of the history of it and the storytelling of it. And that's where I'm going to stop right now, because I think three is, three is plenty of podcasts for a single person. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how anyone does more than one, but I think that's just where I am. I'm so excited for your new one. I love Wyoming. It was the one state when I drove through, I was really surprised Where'd you by. go? I was like, I drove cross country to go to Washington. And so we stopped in Laramie, which was really mm -hmm. cool. And just driving through, it was gorgeous. And I, I loved it. Yeah. Especially after Nebraska. Anywhere is better than Nebraska. It just is. <laughs> and yeah, sorry, Nebraska people. I also went to the University of Colorado. So we were rivals too. So uh, huck the Fuskers. But anyway. <laughs> um yeah no it's uh it keeps me busy um probably too busy but i'm glad i rediscovered your podcast courtney it's so great congrats on the success recently on your your uh charts as well that's really exciting well you were the one who told me about it because I, I saw it i'm like wait and I was... a minute that's courtney's doing pretty well there yeah no, that was cool and well deserved i think it's a really fun show don't stop you have to keep going for a while Okay, I'll I'll keep going. I have to job hunt again, so it'll be a good sanity there you marker. Go. <laughs> okay, we'll see you next week when I will tell a less happy story. Okay. <laughs>
it's a lot less happy. Okay, bye. bye. Hi there, my name is Kevin and I host the Can't Make This Up History Podcast. Before starting the Can't Make This Up History Podcast, I taught college history for five years during which I learned the best history is told through amazing, unbelievable stories that actually happened. For example, did you know that the Nazis believed they could use witchcraft and astrology to shape government policy? Or that in the 1800s, New York City shipped its prisoners, poor and insane, to a miserable island in the East River where convicts served as orderlies for the mentally ill? Did you know that a 1920s con artist masquerading as a Native American chief was able to bilk European aristocrats out of millions and attracted beetle-sized crowds wherever he went? Or that the Franklin Expedition, lost to the Canadian Arctic in one of history's greatest unsolved mysteries for over 150 years, was finally discovered in 2014 by following Inuit oral history? The Can't Make This Up History Podcast is dedicated to telling these stories and more through interviews with a wide array of guests, from academic historians to Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. New episodes of the Can't Make This Up History Podcast are available every other Tuesday on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss Sicity. We're available on all podcatchers. Remember to rate, review, subscribe to help spread the word, or just force other people to listen to it. Our Facebook and Twitter are at Domestic Podcasts, and our Instagram is at The Cult of Joe Mysticity. We also have podcast merch at Threadless. Uh, as well, if you want to support us financially or show some appreciation, we have a PayPal tip jar and a Patreon, which has some pretty great perks. Any topic suggestions, feel free to email us at domesticpodcasts at gmail.com. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free.